Chapter Twenty Two of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Is He Popenjoy? by Anthony Trollope. Chapter Twenty Two The Marquis Among His Friends. There was, of course, much perturbation of mind at Brotherton as to what should be done on this occasion of the Marquis's return. Mr. Knox had been consulted by persons in the town, and had given it as his opinion that nothing should be done. Some of the tradesmen and a few of the tenants living nearest to the town had suggested a triumphal entry, green boughs, a bonfire, and fireworks. This idea, however, did not long prevail. The Marquis of Brotherton was clearly not a man to be received with green boughs and bonfires. All that soon died away. But there remained what may be called the private difficulty. Many in Brotherton and around Brotherton had of course known the man when he was young, and could hardly bring themselves to take no notice of his return. One or two drove over and simply left their cards. The bishop asked to see him, and was told that he was out. Dr. Poutner did see him, catching him at his own hall door, but the interview was very short and not particularly pleasant. Dr. Poutner, well, I do remember you, certainly, but we have all grown older, you know. I came, said the doctor, with a face redder than ever, to pay my respects to your lordship, and to leave my card on your wife. We are much obliged to you, very much obliged. Unfortunately, we are both invalids." Then the doctor, who had not got out of his carriage, was driven home. The doctor had been a great many years at Brotherton, and had known the old Marquis well. "'I don't know what you and Holdenough will make of him,' the doctor said to the dean. "'I suppose you will both be driven into some communion with him. I shan't try it again.' The dean and Canon Holdenough had been in consultation on the subject, and had agreed that they would each of them act as though the Marquis had been like any other gentleman— and his wife like any newly married lady. They were both now connected with the family, and even bound to act on the presumption that there would be family friendship. The dean went on his errand first, and the dean was admitted into his sitting-room. This happened a day or two after the scene at Cross Hall. "'I don't know why I should have troubled you so soon,' said the dean, "'had not your brother married my daughter.' The dean had thought over the matter carefully, making up his mind how far he would be courteous to the man, and where he would make a stand, if it were necessary that he should make a stand at all. And he had determined that he would ask after the new Lady Brotherton, and speak of the child as Lord Popenjoy, the presumption being that a man is married when he says so himself, and that his child is legitimate when declared to be so. His present acknowledgment would not bar any future proceedings. "'There has been a good deal of marrying and giving in marriage since I have been away,' replied the Marquis. "'Yes, indeed. There has been your brother, your sister, and last, not least, yourself.' "'I was not thinking of myself. I meant among you here. The Church seems to carry everything before it.' It seemed to the dean, who was sufficiently mindful of his daughter's fortune, and who knew to a penny what was the very liberal income of Canon Holdenough, that in these marriages the church had at least given as much as it had got. "'The church holds its own,' said the dean, "'and I hope it always will. 
May I venture to express a hope that the Marchioness is well? Not very well. I am sorry for that. Shall I not have the pleasure of seeing her to-day? The Marquis looked as though he were almost astounded at the impudence of the proposition, but he replied to it by the excuse that he had made before. Unless you speak Italian, I am afraid you would not get on very well with her. She will not find that I have the Tuscan tongue or the Roman mouth, but I have enough of the language to make myself perhaps intelligible to her ladyship. We will postpone it for the present, if you please, Mr. Dean. There was an insolence declared in the man's manner, and almost declared in his words, which made the dean at once determine that he would never again ask after the new marchioness, and that he would make no allusion whatever to the son. A man may say that his wife is too unwell to receive strangers without applying that the wish to see her should not have been expressed. The visitor bowed, and then the two men both sat silent for some moments. "'You have not seen your brother since you have been back?' the dean said at last. "'I have not seen him. I don't know where he is or anything about him.' "'They live in London, in Munster Court.' "'Very likely. He didn't consult me about his marriage, and I don't know anything about his concerns. He told you of it before it took place.' "'Very likely, though I do not exactly see how that concerns you and me. "'You must be aware that he is married to my daughter.' "'Quite so. "'That would generally be supposed to give a common interest.' "'Ah, I dare say. "'You feel it so, no doubt. "'I am glad that you are satisfied by an alliance with my family. "'You are anxious for me to profess that it is reciprocal.' "'I am anxious for nothing of the kind,' said the dean, jumping from his chair. "'I have nothing to get and nothing to lose by the alliance. "'The usual courtesies of life are pleasant to me.' "'I wish that you would use them, then, on the present occasion, by being a little quieter. "'Your brother has married a lady, and my daughter has married a gentleman. "'Yes, George is a great ass, in some respects the greatest ass I know.' but he is a gentleman perhaps if you have anything else that you wish to say to me you will do me the honour of sitting down the dean was so angry that he did not know how to contain himself the marquis had snubbed him for coming he had then justified his visit by an allusion to the connection between them and the marquis had replied to this by hinting that though a dean might think it a very fine thing to have his daughter married into the family of a marquis the marquis would probably not look at it in the same light and yet what was the truth whence had come the money which had made the marriage possible in the bargain between them which party had had the best of it he was conscious that it would not become him to allude to the money, but his feeling on the subject was very strong. "'My lord,' he said, "'I do not know that there is anything to be gained by my sitting down again.' "'Perhaps not. I dare say you know best.' "'I came here intent on what I consider to be a courtesy due to your lordship. I am sorry that my visit has been mistaken.' "'I don't see that there is anything to make a fuss about.' It shall not be repeated, my lord. And so he left the room. Why on earth had the man come back to England, bringing a foreign woman and an Italian brat home with him, if he intended to make the place too hot to hold him, by insulting everybody around him? 
This was the first question that Dean had asked himself when he found himself outside the house. And what could the man hope to gain by such insolence? Instead of taking the road through the park back to Brotherton, he went on to Cross Hall. He was desirous of learning what were the impressions and what were the intentions of the ladies there. Did this madman mean to quarrel with his mother and sisters as well as with other neighbors? He did not as yet know what intercourse there had been between the two houses, since the Marquis had been at Manor Cross, and in going to Cross Hall in the midst of all these troubles he was no doubt actuated in part by a determination to show himself to be one of the family. If they would accept his aid, no one would be more loyal than he to these ladies. But he would not be laid aside. If anything unjust were intended, if any fraud was to be executed, the person most to be injured would be that hitherto unborn grandson of his, for whose advent he was so anxious. He had been very free with his money, but he meant to have his money's worth. At Cross Hall he found Canon Holdenough's wife and the canon. At the moment of his entrance old Lady Brotherton was talking to the clergyman, and Lady Alice was closeted in a corner with her sister Sarah. I would advise you to go, just as though you had heard nothing from us, Lady Sarah had said. Of course he would be readier to quarrel with me than with any one. For Mamma's sake, I would go away for a time if I had anywhere to go to. Come to us, Lady Alice had said. But Lady Sarah had declared that she would be as much in the way at Brotherton as at Cross Hall, and had then got on to explain that it was Lady Alice's duty to call on her sister-in-law, and that she must do so facing the consequences, whatever they may be. "'Of course Mamma could not go till he had been here,' Lady Sarah added, "'and now he has told Mamma not to go at all. But that is nothing to you.' "'I have just come from his house,' said the dean. "'Did you see him?' asked the old woman, with awe. "'Yes, I saw him.' "'Well?' "'I must say he was not very civil to me, and that I suppose I have seen all of him that I shall see.' "'It is only his manner,' said her ladyship. "'An unfortunate manner, surely. "'Poor Brotherton!' "'Then the canon said a word. "'Of course no one wants to trouble him. "'I can speak at least for myself. "'I do not. "'Certainly I have requested her ladyship to ask him "'whether he would wish me to call or not. "'If he says that he does, "'I shall expect him to receive me cordially. "'If he does not, there's an end of it.' "'I hope you won't all of you turn against him,' said the Marchioness. "'Turn against him,' repeated the dean. "'I do not suppose there is any one who would not be both kind and courteous to him, if he would accept kindness and courtesy. It grieves me to make you unhappy, Marchioness, but I am bound to let you know that he treated me very badly.' From that moment the Marchioness made up her mind that the dean was no friend of the family and that he was, after all, vulgar and disagreeable. She undertook, however, to inquire from her son on next Sunday whether he would wish to be called upon by his brother-in-law, the canon. On the following day Lady Alice went alone to Manor Cross, being the first lady who had gone to the door since the new arrivals, and asked for Lady Brotherton. The courier came back to the door and said, not at home, in a foreign accent, just as the words might have been said to any chance caller in London. Then Lady Alice asked the man to tell her brother that she was there. Not at home, my lady, said the man in the same tone. 
At that moment Mrs. Toff came running through the long hall to the carriage door. The house was built round a quadrangle, and all of the ground floor of the front and of one of the sides consisted of halls, passages, and a billiard-room. Mrs. Toff must have been watching very closely, or she could hardly have known that Lady Alice was there. She came out and stood beside the carriage, and leaning in, whispered her fears and unhappinesses. "'Oh, my lady, I'm afraid it's very bad. I haven't set eyes on the—the—his wife, my lady, yet, nor the little boy.' "'Are they in now, Mrs. Toff?' "'Of course they're in. They never go out. He goes about all the afternoon in a dressing-gown, smoking bits of paper, and she lies in bed or gets up and doesn't do nothing at all, as far as I can see, Lady Alice. But as for being in, of course they're in. They're always in.' Lady Alice, however, feeling that she had done her duty, and not wishing to take the place by storm, had herself driven back to Brotherton. On the following Sunday afternoon the Marquis came, according to his promise, and found his mother at home. "'The fact is, mother,' he said, "'you have got a regular church set around you during the last year or two, and I will have nothing to do with them. I never cared much for Brotherton Close, and now I like it less than ever.' The Marchioness moaned and looked up into his face imploringly. She was anxious to say something in defence at any rate of her daughter's marriage, but specially anxious to say nothing that should not anger him. Of course he was unreasonable, but, according to her lights, he, being the Marquis, had a right to be unreasonable. "'The Dean came to see me the other day,' continued he, "'and I could see at a glance that he meant to be quite at home in the house if I didn't put him down.' "'You'll see Mr. Holdenough, won't you? Mr. Holdenough is a very gentlemanlike man, and the Holdenoughs were always quiet county people. You used to like Alice.' "'If you ask me, I think she has been a fool at her age to go and marry an old parson. As for receiving him, I shan't receive anybody, in the way of entertaining them. I haven't come home for that purpose. My child will have to live here when he is a man.' "'God bless him,' said the Marchioness. "'Or, at any rate, his property will be here. They tell me that it will be well that he should be used to this damnable climate early in life. He will have to go to school here and all that. So I have brought him, though I hate the place.' "'It is so nice to have you back, Brotherton.' "'I don't know about its being nice. I don't find much niceness in it. Had I not got myself married, I should never have come back.' but it's as well that you all should know that there is an heir. "'God bless him,' said the Marchioness again. "'But don't you think that we ought to see him?' "'See him? Why?' He asked the question sharply, and looked at her with that savageness in his eyes which all the family remembered so well, and which she specially feared. That question of the legitimacy of the boy had never been distinctly discussed at Cross Hall and the suspicious hints on the subject which had passed between the sisters, the allusion to this and the other possibility which had escaped them, had been kept as far as possible from their mother. They had remarked among themselves that it was very odd that the marriage should have been concealed, and almost more than odd that an heir to the title should have been born without any announcement of such a birth. A dread of some evil mystery had filled their thoughts, and shown itself in their words and looks to each other, 
and though they had been very anxious to keep this from their mother, something had crept through which had revealed a suspicion of a suspicion, even to her. She, dear old lady, had resolved upon no line of conduct in the matter. She had conceived no project of rebelling against her eldest daughter, or of being untrue to her youngest son. But now that she was alone with her eldest son, with the real undoubted Marquis, with him who would certainly be to her more than all the world beside, if he would only allow it, there did come into her head an idea that she would put him on his guard. Because, because, because what? Speak out, mother. Because perhaps they'll say that, that, what will they say? If they don't see him, they may think he isn't Popenjoy at all. Oh, they'll think that, will they? How will seeing help them? It would be so nice to have him here, if it's only for a little, said the Marchioness. So, that's it, he said, after a long pause. That's George's game, and the Dean's. I can understand. No, 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 not George, said the unhappy mother. And Sarah, I dare say, is in a boat with them. I don't wonder that they should choose to remain here and watch me. I am sure George has never thought of such a thing. George will think as his father-in-law bids him. George was never very good at thinking for himself. So you fancy that they'll be more likely to accept the boy if they see him. Seeing is believing, Brotherton. There's something in that, to be sure. Perhaps they don't think I've got a wife at all, because they haven't seen her. Oh, yes, they believe that. How kind of them. Well, mother, you've let the cat out of the bag. Don't tell them that I said so. No, I won't tell, nor am I very much surprised. I thought how it would be when I didn't announce it all in the old-fashioned way. It's lucky that I have the certified proof of the date of my marriage, isn't it? It's all right, of course. I never doubted it, Brotherton. But all the others did. I knew there was something up when George wasn't at home to meet me. He is coming. He may stay away if he likes. I don't want him. He won't have the courage to tell me up to my face that he doesn't intend to acknowledge my boy. He's too great a coward for that. I'm sure it's not George, Brotherton. Who is it, then? Perhaps the dean. D-blank his impudence! How on earth among you could you let George marry the daughter of a low-bred ruffian like that, a man that never ought to have been allowed to put his foot inside the house? He had a very nice fortune, and he wanted to marry that scheming girl Adelaide de Baron without a penny. The de Barons, at any rate, are gentlefolk. If the dean meddles with me, he shall find that he has got the wrong sow by the ear. If he puts his foot in the park again, I'll have him warned off as a trespasser. But you'll see hold enough. I don't want to see anybody. I mean to hold my own, and do as I please with my own, and live as I like, and toady no one. What can I have in common with an old parson like that? You'll let me see Popenjoy, Brotherton? Yes, he said, pausing a moment before he answered her. He shall be brought here, and you shall see him. But mine, mother, I expect you to tell me all that you hear. Indeed I will. 
You will not rebel against me, I suppose. Oh, no, my son, my son. Then she fell upon his neck, and he suffered it for a minute, thinking it wise to make sure of one ally in that house. End of chapter 22